For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn. I am your host, Taylor Davis, joined by Jason Campbell. And we are here to break down your Auburn Tigers because they are going to take the field again this week. It's been two long, grueling weeks without Auburn football, but have no fear They are returning this week, and we're going to talk about the big matchup with Tennessee, this team's return to play after the COVID-19 shutdown. We're also going to talk about a couple different stories coming out of the SEC the past couple of weeks. So we are so glad that you've joined us. It's a beautiful day here. Let's check in with my co-host, Jason Campbell. Jay, how's the past couple of weeks been for you? Because you do, as we all know, some some of the radio calling for Auburn. So uh, two weeks of no games has meant two weeks of no radio calling for you. What's it been like on a Saturday? Oh my gosh, Taylor, it's been brutal. It's been brutal. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you, I don't know what you call it. I'd rather be sitting around fishing than doing whatever I had to be doing the last two weeks. Uh, I tell you yeah. between politics and all the COVID stuff on the news, I'm about, sure. to pull, I'm about to pull my hair out. So <laughs> sports is my outlet right now. And I can't wait I for us to get back to playing these games and everything. And I was talking to a buddy of mine earlier, Danny Lindsay, matter of fact, who played uh, college balls, my offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talked about this and we said, man, between all these politics and COVID and stuff, he said, could you imagine football season or basketball or baseball season or even golf like women's soccer or softball, basketball, not even being played at all. Like, Mm -mm. do you know, like, how brutal it would be just to be just just your everyday mindset right now? So people look for sports. And we talked about how sports has a way of bringing people together, like especially in the country right now, we feel so divided. Like Mm -hmm. sports do bring people together. I said, man, I said for us to be on a football field and – and to have one common goal is to win at the end of the day. I said, but the blood, the sweat, the tears that we put in to get ready for a season, I said, brings yeah. you closer together. Oh, other than that, though, I can't complain. Uh, just living life one day at a time, trying to weather the storm just like everybody else, and things will get better. We just got to keep, yeah. keep praying, keep looking up, and uh, moving forward. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I think, you know, we all get used to our – our current situations, our current circumstances and and the day to day kind of gets going and and we forget how far we've come. Like yes, we're still in in kind of the grind of of getting back to normal, but think back to May, June, July when conversations were happening about canceling football season altogether. We got to remember this is what we all wanted and and even though it's a different capacity this season, we have football and we have stuff to talk about and it you're absolutely right sports are kind of an escape from all the the negativity and the struggles that life brings. So I I'm very grateful that we have some of that to talk about and this week we will be able to get back to talking about our Tigers as they take the field to face Tennessee. So we are going to get into this one. It should be an interesting matchup all things considered 
You would expect a, a pretty promising performance from this Auburn team, but in the SEC, you can never be too sure. Let's keep in mind, we lost to South Carolina, so certainly not a team that you want to sleep on. Tennessee has had a bit of a tumultuous season, kind of up and down. They started out strong with two consecutive wins, but they have lost four consecutive since then. They have lost to Georgia, Kentucky, Alabama, and Arkansas after opening the 2020 campaign with wins over South Carolina and Missouri. There's also a lot of question marks surrounding this one because they are not exactly clear on who their starting quarterback is going to be. If it's Jarrett Garantano, this is the guy that came into our house a couple years ago and embarrassed Auburn and Tennessee left with a win that absolutely should not have happened. And he was really able to exploit our defense with explosive plays. They couldn't run the ball, but explosive plays he was able to find success with. So if he does play, I expect they're going to put a lot of emphasis in the air. Now, if he is not able to go this week, he suffered a concussion concussion. He missed practice last week because he was still in concussion protocol. They've got two younger guys that are starting to kind of get more reps in practice. They've had a little bit of playing time. Neither of them are showing all that much at this point. You expect it would likely be Harrison Bailey, and he is the highest rated quarterback recruit to sign with Tennessee during the Jeremy Pruitt era. So you would expect that it would be him. But regardless, This is not the Tennessee team that should pose as much of a threat as they possibly could in years past. I know that upsets Vols fans everywhere, but it's a great opportunity for this Auburn team to get back on the field, get back into a game atmosphere against an opponent that you should be able to take advantage of. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, Like I said, Mississippi State game last week, I thought definitely we would have won that game uh, convincingly because, you know, they've been struggling and trying to find their way. And, uh, you know, we did one, two games in a row. And anytime you can put together consecutive wins, it does a lot for your mo- your morale as a football team. And and yes, you know people can say, yeah, y'all played Ole Miss, you played the LSU team that's beat down, but it, it's not our fault who we're playing. You know, we gonna control who we're playing and did it. And like I said, our team wasn't doing that well either earlier in the season. So it's good to see our team start to take the take uh, turn the corner. Mm-hmm. Now the problem is you've been off for twenty one days by the time you play this game. Yeah. So can you rev up that same intensity and that same consistency and that chemistry that we had against LSU and carry it over into the Tennessee game? Or Because the most important thing in, in games like this, after you come off bye weeks, it's not necessarily a real bye, but it's still a bye, is how fast can you start when you get off the bus? A lot of teams you see in the NFL and in college, they come out, they meddle themselves around a little bit in the first quarter, and you let a team like Tennessee hang around and they gain confidence. Or will we be yeah. the team to come out there and we pound them and we jump up on them early, we get up 14-0, to zero, and you make them ready to make a business decision and go home. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's so important of how we approach this game more so than how Tennessee approaches this game. So I think Tennessee is going to come in trying to play a little bit harder than they played. They got embarrassed by Arkansas, They got and they was up in that game 10-0 to zero for a while, and then they yeah. end up just falling apart. Alabama embarrassed them. All the games you look at that they lost has been like total collapses. And for them this week, I think they're going to focus more on like how could they utilize the bye week to get their cohesiveness back, get their mm-hmm. football team back. That's why I say this is a dangerous game. And I say that because – they didn't play Texas A&M last week, which would have been a brutal game for them because right. Texas A&M is playing pretty good. But then you think about this game, Taylor, I'm just like, 
Last time we played Tennessee at home, it was a complete, you know, shocker, let down. Mm-hmm. And this time it's a night game. Most kids get up for night games. It's our first night game this year in the Auburn Stadium. So we finally get a chance to see the <laughs> LED lights that they put so much money into. So, oh, yeah. you know, so so we will see. We will see. I'm not going to jump too far and say, yes, we should beat it. I know they're a double-digit underdog. But this is a game you got to be watchful and careful for because yeah. you can't come in this game and think you're – you know, that they're just going to lay down because they're not. Their coaches are coaching right. for their jobs, and there's players that's coaching for their for themselves. And like you said, the quarterback position, we don't know if we're going to get Garantano. Did I say that right? Not sure. Sorry, Auburn fans. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, or Harrison Bailey. But either or, either way, either way, you've got to come ready to play, and you've got to bring that intensity. Absolutely. I think maybe, and I'm guilty of this as well, I was a little too comfortable going into the South Carolina game. It seemed as though our team did the exact same thing. And look at the results of that one. So lesson learned, you don't overlook anybody. You don't overlook anybody in the SEC, and you don't overlook anybody in the year of 2020 because we're dealing with too many uh, off-the-field aspects that you can't predict how they're going to translate onto the field. So certainly one that you want to be up for, be excited for. I agree. A night game in Auburn is always so special and exciting. There's going to be adrenaline behind this one, especially since the boys haven't been able to play in so long. But Tennessee's doing the exact same thing. Their guys are eager to get back on the field and suit up and go play again and kind of right the wrongs from the last time that they were out there. So I think there's there's going to be a bit of a chip on their shoulder, but this Auburn team needs to come in with the swag that they garnered from that LSU win, and I hope that they're able to maintain that. So let's talk about a couple key things as far as matchups go for this one. As we mentioned, unclear about the quarterback if Jarrett Gannett if Jarrett Garantano will go right now, his completion percentage is right about 61.5%. He's got a good receiver in Josh Palmer. He's great with jump balls and their running back. Eric gray can run to open space. If the offensive line creates it for him, but their line has struggled in this season. They are 82nd in power success rate right now and 93rd in sack rate. So there are certainly areas in this offense that are weak. And this Auburn defense has enough in the tank to make use of those holes and exploit them. They also have a bit of a predictable offense if you watch them. They're kind of in a run between the tackles on first and second down and then throw third and long, which is you don't have the quarterback or the personnel to be running that kind of system. And up against a Kevin Steele defense, I think this is going to be a really great opportunity for our defense to kind of play lights out. Also an interesting aspect to this one, Jason, is the history between Jeremy Pruitt and Kevin Steele. These two were on staff at Bama together, so they have a lot of knowledge and experience and understanding of each other, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a bit more from this Tennessee offense than we've seen in weeks past because Pruitt knows how Steele coaches. Yeah, I heard them mention something about that uh, in their press conference this week. Pruitt did say that uh, because of the history, he knows that some tendencies that uh, Coach Steele like to do. But at the same time, you know, it's always a chess match. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, Coach Pruitt is on the defensive side of the ball, too. So it'd be more of a, a chess match between the offense coordinator, Tennessee, and, um, and Coach Steele. But understanding and having that familiarity with one another, it does pay a difference. And you always yeah. watch the Georgia and Alabama game. And I know it has nothing to do with this game, but you think about Kirby Smart and Coach Saban, how their games are always like look like the same team, but what separates them is always the quarterback position. Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. you think about the Tennessee and the Auburn matchup. Okay, Coach Pruitt, Coach Steele was together. You think defensively, if you look at this turn of tape on, you'll say, wow, Tennessee got some players. Like they have talent. Yeah. But how come they talent haven't been developed into a core that can be a tough defense in this in this uh in this league? And, you know, we don't know. You know, they fired one of their defensive line coaches early in the year. Um mm-hmm. so something's been going on there. And I don't know if it's just pressure that's amounting with Tennessee or what it is, the expectations of being so high for this team. But Auburn understands that. Auburn has high expectations for the last few years. We've had high recruiting classes, and, you know, we've kind of questioned, you know, offensively, have we been able to to surmount the the ability that we have in, in our recruiting classes? And, right. you know, the last – up to this last week, you know, we questioned that. But this week, this you know, LSU game – we saw glimpses of, okay, we, we can see signs of things of the ball spreading around, getting to different people and, 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 and having an effect on our offense and having an effect on the football team. And I think a lot of that has to do with the charisma of our, of our defense forcing turnovers. And that's how the LSU game got started. It forced turnovers, the old Miss game, McCreary intercepts the ball, the, the first series, not the, the first time down that Ole Miss tried to go score in the end zone. So our defense has got those times where they had turnover, created turnovers in crucial times. And I right. think that has helped our offense because we get a short field sometimes and we get a touchdown and then we kind of get things rolling. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. I, I think the keys in this game is really going to be who do they play a quarterback? Can we get pressure on their quarterback and make their young quarterback, if it's him, look like LSU's young quarterback? Right. Absolutely. That that will definitely be a key to this one. And a good time uh, for some of our defensive guys to be getting back to full health. Now, K.J. Britt, unfortunately, still has not been medically cleared, but Jamie Sherwood uh, is on track to return to practice on Tuesday, I read. And then offensively, tight end Brandon Frazier is trending toward playing this week. Shedrick Jackson is on track to return to practice. So there will be benefit to the time off as far as injury return. Tennessee will also get that benefit. But for this Auburn team, for this Auburn defense, any of those guys that have had to, even guys that aren't necessarily injured, but the wear and tear of season is starting to add up, especially for guys like Owen Papo that are playing more because of the absence of guys like KJ Britt. They're playing way more snaps than anticipated. They're getting tired, Jason. You know, at this point of the season and in a conference-only schedule, the the fatigue starts to set in. So those weeks off, even for non-injured guys, it's a great time to recuperate and kind of give your body a, an extra rest that you wouldn't ordinarily get. So I anticipate that we're going to see the benefits of that on the defensive side of the ball, possibly even more than the offensive side. Um, so let's talk about what this offense needs to do because we are coming off a performance in the LSU game where the offense clicked. It clicked in a way that we had not seen thus far. Obviously, it all starts with Tank. It doesn't start with Bo. It starts with Tank. Tank's got to run the ball, and it opens up the pass game for Bo. It opens up a lot more opportunities for Bo. Heck, Bo can be involved in the run game. But we have found our guy in Tank Bigsby. It's going to click through him. What are you anticipating offensively? If we do get Brandon Frazier in there and we've got another tight end to utilize, knowing what you know about the holes that Tennessee has, especially in their secondary, what do you want to see from this offense and what do you expect to see from this offense? Great questions. Great points. Everybody know that Taylor be doing her homework, people. She does her homework. Great points. And 
Thanks, the Jeff. first point about McLean and Owen Papo, I want to visit that for a second because at okay. one point last last game, those two guys have not even come off the field the whole mm-hmm. season until like the fourth quarter of the LSU game. So with McLean being out, it definitely put a lot of pressure on them. And you and you know comes with that, like you say, things do happen, knock on wood. So, but I do think the week did come at the right time for those two guys for sure. Oh, uh, getting Frazier back. Back to your, your immediate question. Getting Frazier mm-hmm. back. Frazier, I think, adds another dynamic to this offense. Having Puget Puget out there, who's a big bowling ball, like no one wants <laughs> no one wants to hit him. It's like it's like it's like How can you, you? Exactly. It's like you the pins and here comes this big bowling ball <laughs> rolling at you and there's nothing you can do to stop it and you're just totally. bracing for it. And so to have that guy, then to have Frazier, who I think is six seven. Um uh-huh. you know, like Shoot, who can't throw him the ball if he goes over right. the middle of the field? If linebackers suck up on the run, you know they're going to have to suck up on the run. Anytime you have a running back like Tank who's having an extraordinary year and Shivers who loves to lower his shoulder, another guy that can run the football. So you got these two guys that's lowering their shoulder and running the football. We had a good one-two punch. You have got to respect the run. So that is going to put more pressure on Tennessee's secondary. And your guy, Seth Williams, usually gets off in these type of games. And I think it helps him the fact that Eli Stowe was involved in the offense more last game. Mm -hmm. Um, Our buddy Swartz got caught some balls other than just screens and reverses. He caught the ball actually (laughs) on the positive side of the the line of scrimmage. So I think that helps, uh, helps a lot. So this game is set up for us to have another explosive offensive night. Uh, we go in there and take care of the football and do all the things that we need to do. And I think they still utilize both within the run game and a lot of reads and certain things so that they can't just key directly on the running backs. Uh, I do think they get him out of the pocket, which they've been doing the last two games because we talked about it, that, you know, that's to me, that's where he looks most comfortable at is when they design plays for him to get outside the pocket instead of him just escaping early a lot to create those type of plays. So I think they've done a good job of making those adjustments. We'll see if they continue to make those adjustments, and we'll see if Tennessee adapt. Will they adapt and rush their ends upfield and force him to have to stay in the pocket and throw from the pocket? So that's what I do defensively. If you beat me that way, you beat me. But what I can't do is let your quarterback get out to where he's most comfortable at to make plays to beat us. Now that's on us. So – you know, we'll see. Like, I, I'm excited about the football game. And like you say, I know these guys are, are getting to the latter part of the season. They start to get tired. But sometimes it's just the opposite. When you start to get to the end of the season and you see the end coming and you know they're still up for grabs, the SEC right. West, like, it intensifies things. Yeah. Right now feels like key football, football time. And you always say – you got to win it in November. And even though the schedule is is different and now we're going to be playing into December, we're going to have the big Texas A&M game in December. Right now, you know what's on the line and you know that from here on it is going to define your postseason. Even if you're not in the playoff run, like everyone wants a reputable bowl, a New Year's Six Bowl would be awesome. So from here on, these games absolutely hold a lot of precedence and you want to start playing your best ball right now. And I expect – that this could be a great kind of jumping board for Auburn into the final stretch of this season. And I agree with you about what we need to see offensively. Very similar opportunity to what we were able to showcase against LSU. And again, starting with Tank, he currently ranks seventh in the SEC in rushing yards with 503 at a 5.65 yard a carry clip. 
And uh, I think that this is going to be one of the toughest running backs that the Tennessee front has faced thus far. So how they are against the run is going to be uh, a key point of this game. I think the defense as a whole has been a frustration of Jeremy Pruitt. Everyone knows Pruitt's a defensive guy. They've kind of underperformed a little bit. But they have been stingy against the run. They're currently ranked 39th in the country in yards allowed per attempt at 3.8. And they've limited opponents to a 44% success rate when running the ball. So I think our run game, while probably the stiffest that Tennessee has faced, they have found ways to contain the run. So I think that'll be a really interesting key point. How effective can we be in that run game? What kind of skill set of Tank Bigsby do we need to rely on more? And uh, and then open up, obviously, the pass options for Bo Nix, which I think we're going to be able to see some of those long, explosive plays on our side because their secondary is, is a bit weaker. But uh, it, it will, of course, like it always does, also rely a lot on this offensive line to protect Bo, to allow the run game to click. I think we're at the point in the season where even through injuries and rotations and everything you have to deal with, offensive line play is crucial right now. It's not just for Auburn. You look across college football in general. Heck, you look across the NFL. The good offensive line teams right now are the ones making a run. It's just the key piece right now, and it goes hand-in-hand with the the wear and tear of season, the point of competition that we're at, these lines have to stand tall and give their offenses an opportunity to showcase what they're doing. Because at this point, quarterbacks and receivers, they've figured out their chemistry run game. They've figured out their scheme. It all starts with the line. How do you think that the three weeks off could benefit specifically our offensive line? Yeah, I think our offensive line is going to benefit well because the one thing is they've been playing with so much chemistry and uh, over these last four weeks, like I said, they put up rush yards, over 200 yards rushing guys like that. When you're an offensive lineman, you get drafted off one thing first is run block. Then the second thing is pass block. Well, that's the only two things you do offensively, so I guess you don't have a choice. But if you really want to show your toughness is, is how you get off the football, off the snap. And the point, the games are won in the trenches. And when I think about this football team, they took it upon themselves after the first two weeks of hearing all the noise about what offense line not doing this or not doing that. It started to sound like a soap opera. So then what they do, they made the adjustment. They said, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that our five guys, and like we talked about this, Taylor, we said it's going to take that group longer to get get it together because it requires all five guys to be on the same page. I said, mm-hmm. so when you don't have a full offseason and a full spring with your new offensive line coach, it takes some time and takes some understanding of that. And it, it took them, like I said, the first couple of weeks in the season. But now I think these guys have figured it out. I think they're comfortable with each other. I think they're taking them amongst themselves to, to, to set the standard and, uh, and have a challenge each and every week. And I do think you know, Tennessee does do a pretty good job against the run when they want to. And mm-hmm. and I, I think they will accept the challenge. And like I said, I, we will see. We will see. But I just think we beat them on the back end with our receivers and everything. And I think that helps open up the run game because they're going to have to make a decision. Do we take the extra defender out of the box if we're passing the ball so well? Or do they right. put the extra defender, keep him in there and just say, look, you can pass it all you want. We're just not going to let you run the ball down our throat. So we'll see. But this offensive line, I, I give them credit. Like, they have done the things they needed to do over the last couple of weeks. And I'm pretty sure a couple of ice tubs and uh, a couple of weeks off a couple of weeks off have helped them get a little bit healthy and get ready for the, the last, what is it, four-game stretch. 
So I think they'll be ready for it, you know, so we'll see. I hope so. I look forward to seeing it. And something certainly to keep your eye on is that we still will be without some players. Not everyone is going to be able to go, obviously, coming off some COVID-19 outbreaks and as well as contact tracing, which requires guys to quarantine for 14 days. The guys that test positive have to quarantine for 10 days. So we still are going to be without some players. How many and who have not been announced? That Those kinds of things are held so close to the chest. Believe me, it's been so annoying as a reporter to not be able to get that information until kickoff, but that's likely how they're going to play it. You don't want to give your opponent too many benefits, but definitely something to keep an eye on who those key pieces are. Are they big name guys? Are they backups? Certainly something that you have to be wary of. This team did get to return to practice last week. Obviously, I think the shutdown, like facilities closed, nobody can come in, was a total of three days, if I'm reading that correctly. And this past weekend, they were practicing three times, and the team has not reported a positive test since last Wednesday. So that is certainly positive. It definitely was titled an outbreak on this team. We reported last week how many players and staff members had tested positive, but luckily it was contained. It was stopped. They did everything they needed to do to get it under control, and we'll be able to take the field because of everyone's efforts in that regard. So certainly encouraging to see. But look, this Auburn team, the last two times we saw them, they scored 35 and 48 Tennessee's last couple of games, they put up 17 and 13. So there is certainly every reason for this Auburn team to come out guns a-blazing and hang a lot a lot of points on this Tennessee team, and I hope that is what we get to see. But it is interesting because this Tennessee team got a win over a team that got a win against us, <laughs> South Carolina. So you can never be too sure. It's a game of chess, like you said. But that leads me to a topic in the SEC that obviously came out this week, and I want to get Jason's input on. South Carolina has officially parted ways with Will Muschamp after a disappointing uh, few seasons, honestly. You can't even just blame it on this season. That's the thing. Heading into this one, I feel like there was a lot of talk that coaches were going to get a pass this season because of how many off the field issues they were having to deal with and how unconventional it was. And you can't take a guy's job based on this year. Honey, it's not just based on this year. Coaches that are going to find themselves on the hot seat this season, they were already there before the season started. So that's what this one is. Will Muschamp has not lived up to expectations since he has gotten to Columbia. I think he is a great defensive coordinator. I don't think he's a great head coach. And I was not at all surprised to see this happen. I was a little bit surprised to see it happen mid-season, just with all the different COVID-19 protocols that everyone's having to go through. But I'm not surprised to see that job be taken from him. What were your thoughts on this news? Well, 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 people. <laughs> yeah, it's this. People always say, oh, we'll give everybody a pass this season. Yeah, yeah right. We, we, yeah. we, play, we see football on TV, and everybody wants to win, especially if you're paying these coaches high-priced dollars. And, yes, COVID this year – put a wrench in a whole lot of things and mm-hmm. yes it's a lot it's, it's a lot of unfairness to the coaches when it comes to what they can do and can't do but if somebody fire me and they want to give me 13 million dollars to go on about my business <laughs> you know what i'm in i just throw you the peace sign and i just move <laughs> on to the next to the next phase or whatever come next for me but uh yep. you know it's just it's like this i 
I don't really know what a lot of these ADs look at. I like Coach Muschamp. Like I said, I've talked to him numerous times. He's a great guy, fun to be around, great defense coordinator, going to be hired ASAP. I just don't know about the head coaching position because he gets so animated so quick. Like, yep. it's like a ticking time bomb. Like, you see it, like, okay, here it comes. It's coming. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's just, boom, he's all yeah. over the rails. Like, he was centered in that game. He had every right to be. The guy knee was down. It cost him three points at the half. Right. But my thing is, Coach Muschamp was at University of Florida. Mm-hmm. University of Florida gets all kind of recruits. That state is loaded with talent. So if you had a trouble, if you had trouble winning at the University of Florida and you go to South Carolina, what do you expect him to do more at South Carolina than he was did at Florida when you were supposed to get more better recruits at Florida yep. than you would yep. at South Carolina? So that just raises a question like, OK, but you hired him expecting you to get different results. So that's shame on the school. Same on the AD, not on Coach Muschamp and, yep. uh, and everything. So, you know, like I said, these coaches. Nowadays, they have a way that when they do get fired, like it's not like they're walking away empty-handed. It's not like playing in the NFL as a player. Once your butt get cut, you know what you get? You get a pat on the back and turn your playbook in. See you later. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Like These guys get a check. They, they get cash, and they continue to get paid out because that's why you have to be so careful with like giving these extensions so easily and so quickly because yeah. – the thing is, you can be caught and stuck in these things because as a coach, you are paying this coaching extension and money based on what you feel like he's going to do for your university and bringing in yeah. victories. Now, with that being said, shouldn't there be a stipulation that if a coach doesn't bring in a certain amount of victories on what you paid him for based off when you was giving him the contract, that you shouldn't have to pay out the rest of that contract yeah, because the contract wasn't honored? So I'm just saying, as a player, we don't get those opportunities. So I'm just saying, like, as a coach, I have nothing against coaches. You do a great job. It's a lot of work. You put in a lot of time. You put in a lot of recruiting time, a lot of time away from your family. But I'm just trying to find where is the thin line for the school? Because I'm just saying, like, now for you to go get another head coach and a high-profile coach, you have first got to figure out his salary while you're still paying another salary. Like that is tough. So I'm just trying to figure I mean, out like where where do you do what do you do? I I think that's a really good point, and honestly, it's been a, a part of the conversation for Auburn in years past. N- not saying that it's the right thing to do, but anytime the mm-hmm. discussion has been had about Gus Malzahn's future, his extension is taken into consideration because that's a large amount of money to continue to pay somebody, and you're gonna want to be able to give a, an offer that someone can't refuse to bring someone new in. And mm-hmm. we all think of these SEC schools as having money out the wazoo, and honestly, they kind of do. But even th- even those numbers start to add up and they become a little bit unbearable and I I think that you bring up a really good point about kind of the contingency of their deals just like Cam Newton's deal that he signed with the Pats this year Mm -hmm. was a one-year deal with a a certain guaranteed rate but then a certain rate is contingent on his performance why aren't coaches under that same umbrella I think that's a really really good point and something that would make a lot more business sense and would be a lot more financially savvy but things like that are likely going to start to happen because of what 2020 has done to everybody. We're going to have to start making smarter decisions to cover ourselves so that we're not in a financial bind because we now know nothing's guaranteed. Even sports seasons are not guaranteed. So that certainly is, is an interesting way that we could start to see that spin. But 
I, I don't disagree with the decision. I, I think Muschamp was not the right hire from the beginning. I, I was surprised by it at the jump, and I don't think he has been able to perform or produce at this point. And look, they, they missed the HBC days. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like they, they used to be relevant in the SEC, right. and they haven't been in so long. So there's an element of frustration that no amount of money is going to deter them from getting back on track. That's the point that they're at. And honestly, I feel like Tennessee is knocking on that door. They're getting very close to that point with Jeremy Pruitt. I don't I don't agree with that, though. I think that a, a little more time needs to be granted. But the way that they have lost some of these, like you mentioned, they were ahead against Arkansas and they completely let it go. There's been a lack of discipline in some of these losses for Tennessee and the easy finger gets pointed at the head coach. Do you think Jeremy Pruitt is on the hot seat? Well, yes. You know, honestly, like I have to say yes, because you think of Tennessee, Tennessee is a program like that used to be legendary. Exactly. You know, like it used to be legendary. They used to beat Bama. Right. It used to beat Bama. It used to be a (laughs) – they haven't beat Bama in, what, 13 tries? Like, Like that's just unheard of. And it's not like they can't get recruits. So my whole thing is like if you're going to pay high salaries, you have to stop accepting mediocrity. Meteorocrity. I mean, you know, like you have to like, and a coach can't get mad if you gonna if you gonna ask for five million, seven million, eight million, ten million dollars a year, then you have to expect the fans to be upset if they don't see anything improving. You can't get in your feelings about it because guess what? You still gonna get paid your money. Yep. But so you can't get upset that people expect more and want more. Like you should want to be part of a program that expects more and want more because that's your expectations. Like no one wants right. to play somewhere that's low expectations. I would just like, mm-hmm. let's look at Michigan, for example. Okay. Coach Harbaugh, great at Stanford. Great for the 49ers. All right. Boom. He gets hired in Michigan. Expectations is what? Not win nine games a year. Expectations is, oh, we're going to beat Ohio state and go win a national championship. No. Have they beat Ohio state since they've been there? Have not. Have they gone in the playoffs? Have not. Have they won any Big Ten? Have not. Have they won nine games? Sure, three or four times. But the thing is, they was about to give him a seven-year extension before COVID happened in the spring. I remember it. And then they said, hold on, because of COVID, they wanted to just wait. And he agreed to just push all the negotiations to the end of this season and then come back to the table and then renegotiate the contract. Could you imagine if Michigan would have gave Coach Harbaugh a seven-year deal back in March extension and then all of a sudden get this type of season what do you do do you stick it with him next year and say okay since covid we're gonna give you a pass but you already signed this extension so we're gonna see what you do with a whole spring and a fall and see how everything goes because guess what he's been winning nine games but he hasn't won who against the big games and he hasn't really done anything other than what the other coach pretty much that was there before him done. He just won a couple more winning seasons, but not big, big, huge relevant games that when you see a coach Harbaugh tied to your school or what they hired him for and why they're paying him so much money. So it's just the AD was about to do the same thing with him. Mm-hmm. Like he was about to get this big, huge extension, even though he hasn't done what y'all thought y'all wanted him to do in the first four years of him having a job. So I'm just right. saying, what is it? Are schools just starting to panic because they feel like there's no one else out there? Or right. yeah, and that's the reason behind it. I said, but how do you know? Like some coaches don't get a name until you give them an opportunity. 
Right. So how do you know? Like, I think we just got to get out of this narrative where like, oh, there's nobody else out here that can coach because they haven't been seen coaching head coach. Well, newsflash, before you become a head coach, you first have to have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I like, so then once you get the opportunity, you get a chance to show what you can do. Not for the first year, but give me two, three years. Exactly. So I just think the narrative has got to change um, because there are some really, really solid coaches out here. I think they deserve opportunities, but some of these big name guys, because of the big name, they these schools are afraid to move move on from them. Right. And then you're letting some some guys that that really good, like Sean McVay, um, mm-hmm. you know, my guy up there at Green Bay, uh, uh, the guy in San Francisco. All these were what young coaches, even the coach yep. that you know. These are young coaches, and they having success. So I'm just yep. saying. You know, you have got to get out of your comfort zone sometime and try something new. So, you know, yep. that's all I got to say. I'm just tired of uh, big programs that expect to win and we expect them to win just to set mediocrity. It's time for us to up our level of intensity. Like, that's the reason Bama keeps staying consistent because the expectation when you go to Bama is playoffs, chance for national championship, or bust. Right. Anything less is a disappointment, and uh, and that starts, as much as we hate to say it, starts from the head coach. So I totally agree with you, and I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see a different trend in how coaches are hired, how long their deals are, that sort of thing. And South Carolina might be the first domino to fall. I honestly will be surprised if anyone else gets the boot this year, even Derek Mason at Vanderbilt, because I think he is up against way more than anyone is even privy to. Uh, coaching at that school, I understand James Franklin was able oh, yeah. to, you know, write a different narrative for them, but that is very rare. That is not going to be the case at Vanderbilt for a while. They were down so many players this season. Yeah. I honestly will not be surprised to see him remain at Vanderbilt because I don't know what their alternative is right now. And same thing with Jeremy Pruitt. I, I don't think they'll pull the plug on him. The loyalty got the coach at Vanderbilt. Um, he had that really good year. Uh, I think yeah. it was about two, three years ago. And Coach Mason had an opportunity to go somewhere else to a bigger school. Um, you know, Vanderbilt is a big school, but you're never going to get the recruits that all these other SEC schools get because no. of the academic requirements. Exactly. And he had an opportunity to pull a James Franklin where he went to Penn State. He could have went mm-hmm. somewhere else. And he told them he he wanted to stay. And, yep. you know, so he chose to stay there. And uh, I think they do like him from that aspect. And like you said, they was down a lot. Yep. But at the end of the day, Taylor, we know they at least got to win two to three games or it's just the way it is. Not day. Yeah, it's just the way it is. And it's just tough. It, it's tough. Like, I feel for coaches. I feel for everybody else. But I'm just saying, like, there are some guys that's winning no matter what. Yeah. And I'm just saying, right. you got to be able to give something. When you're getting so much, you got to give me something. Yeah. Like, you can't just keep my school tied up and, and things like that. Like, you got to give us something. And, right. uh and everything. So we'll see how, how things start to transpire. But there are some really good young coaches out here I think deserve some opportunities, and uh, we'll see what happens. I agree. Certainly is exciting, and I think the next four weeks are going to be exciting, not just for this Auburn team to get back to play, but for the SEC in general. It'll be interesting to see how some of these big matchups the next four weeks 
pan out. Well, everybody, that will do it for us this week on Believe in Everything Auburn. As always, Jason and I are so grateful to you all for listening. We hope you enjoy seeing some Auburn football back on the field this week. Make sure you watch and cheer those boys on. Hopefully, we'll be recapping another W this time next week. So, everyone, have a great weekend. Be safe. Stay healthy. Have some fun. And, uh, oh, yeah, War Eagle. Yes, where are you, everybody? And make sure you tune in to watch this game and check out the new LED lights that Auburn have put in this year for night games. I know Taylor has been looking forward to this for a very long time, everybody. So (laughs) we will get her feedback on this next week's show. Have a good one. War Eagle. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.